Welcome to the Texas Radio Theater Podcast, Season 8, Episode 5. This time you're going to hear Schlock Audio Theater's Plan 9 from Outer Space. This podcast is made possible in part by the Radio Memories Network, Libsyn.com, and RF Media at RFMediaPro.com. We'll be back with Charles Pratt, co-founder of the Schlock Audio Theater, right after this. <laughs> this is Cadavra, Cadavra Quivery. I'm the host of an all-new horror series named after the place where I live, The Cellar. <laughs> In each episode, I open my great big book and select a story that's certain to chill you. <laughs> so watch for The Cellar. Coming soon from the creator of Pulpery Theater, Pete Lutz. In the meantime, don't take candy from stranglers. <laughs> well, as promised, we're bringing. Charles Pratt back from Schlock Audio Theater to talk about their second episode, which was Plan 9 from Outer Space. Charles, welcome. Hello, glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me back. When was this one produced? And unlike the last one, I don't think it was done live. No, it, it was done in, in uh, Bruce's little studio with Columbia Audio Theater. Um, all of these were written and, and produced around between 2004 and 2006. I do, it's been, you know, obviously years now, so I don't remember exactly, yeah. but it, it was right in there. It's been over a decade. Let's go ahead and, and dive right into Plan 9 from Outer Space from Schlock Audio Theater and the Columbia Audio Theater. My children of the fight. Relieve the nightmares of your screens, where the absurd becomes reality, and the horror becomes the norm, and all is produced by schmutzy filmmakers. Schlock Audio Theater, Oh, welcome. Welcome, everyone. Please be seated. Make yourselves comfortable. Bigor will be around shortly to fill your glasses with wine and tickle your taste buds with our finest cheese. Oh, and speaking of cheese, tonight's feature is pure Limburger from the master himself, the greatest and most misunderstood genius of the no-budget monster shocker, Edward D. Wood, Jr. Sit back and prepare to be amazed by the director's cut of a plan so fiendish, a plot so outlandish, a story so corny, and production values so cheap, it could only be known as Plan 9 from Outer Space! Bring on the cheese! (laughs) 
Good evening, friends. I am Chriswell, the psychic, as I predicted you would know. You are interested in the future. That is good, because that is where you will spend the rest of your lives, in the future. You are curious about the mysterious, the strange, and the unknown. That is why you are here. Well, finally, my friends, the true story can be told. Let the guilty be punished. Let the innocent be rewarded. Now all can be revealed by the wretched souls that experience this extraordinary event. Can your heart stand the terrible truth of grave robbers from outer space? Can you? Tell me. I predict you will tell me. I predict. Hold it. This movie is filled with long speeches, so I'm taking over. Believe me, it'll go faster. Sundown. A small group of mourners cluster around the grave in a cemetery that looks more like a dumping ground than anything else. Grieving beside the preacher is a familiar face. Bella Lugosi, a.k.a. Mr. Smithy, who plays this bereft old man for only half the movie before he dies. Bella, uh, uh, Mr. Smithy, cries in his hands. <laughs> After the small group disperses, the grave diggers begin filling in the grave. We cut to stock footage of a passenger airplane flying, and then, just as quick, cut to the airplane's cockpit where we find pilot Jeff Trent preparing for landing. Yeah, good old San Fernando Valley below, right on schedule. You'd better radio Burbank Tower for landing instructions, Danny. Roger that. It's a budget-crunching set of cardboard walls, a shower curtain door to the passenger cabin, as well as black wood triangles nailed to dowel rods to serve as the steering columns. Burbank Tower, this is American Flight 812. Over. Suddenly, the crew flail around in their seats, pretending to be rocked by turbulence. Holy mackerel, what in the world? That's nothing from this world. The camera cuts to a tin plate flying saucer wiggling on a fishing line in front of a charcoal-colored backdrop. Mayday, Burbank Tower, Mayday. UFO spotted, requesting instructions. Requesting instructions. The UFO wobbles off and lands out of sight in the cemetery where the grave diggers are finishing their work. Interestingly enough, neither grave digger spots the enormous UFO coming in for a landing. <laughs> Although. I sure enough thought I heard something mighty peculiar just now. Like what? I, I think my stomach was growling. No, it, it ain't that. I don't like hearing noises where noises ain't supposed to be. S spooky. Yeah, well, well, it's gone now. Gone? That's right where we need to be. I'm right behind you. The grave diggers scurry off, but not before. It suddenly turns to midnight, and fog begins creeping out of the crypts. Oopsie, now it's daylight, as the grave robbers stop in their tracks and look startled at the camera. <gasps> oh, 
It's midnight again, and we witnessed the recently buried Miss Vera Smitty, played by 50s camp horror host Vampira, revealing herself to the gravediggers. Ooh. Her face is twisted in a grimace that only a spastic colon can produce. Oops, now it's daylight again, and the gravediggers gasp. <coughs> now, midnight again, and she raises her arms in a stiff sort of ghoulish greeting. Back to daytime, and both gravediggers experience simultaneous heart failure from fright. <coughs> and instantly die on the spot. The next day, or week, or month, who knows in an Edward film, Bella E. Smithy, grieving the loss of his wife, stumbles out of his house, picks a flower growing nearby, and aimlessly wanders off screen. And next we hear... <laughs> Midnight back at the graveyard. Mourners exit from a flimsy cutout of a crypt. Oh, it's so awful. First Mr. Smithy's wife died. Now he's dead too. What could possibly happen next? <gasps> what is it? I see dead people. Two of them. It's the poor wretched grave diggers. <laughs> Minutes later, the police arrive, led by Chief Inspector Dan Clay. Impossibly huge, and all but bursting out of his clothes, he struggles to free himself from the squad car. What's the situation, patrolman? The two that discovered the bodies are over there with Lieutenant Harper. I'm waiting for the meat wagon to pick the bodies up. How they doing? Well, they're still dead, sir. I mean, the people who discovered the bodies. Oh, right, Chief. They're doing about the usual for mourners who stumble across a couple of bodies. Well, take the statements. See that they get home. Yes, sir. What are you planning on doing? I think I'll take this flashlight and walk through this dangerous cemetery all alone. Okay, but be careful, Inspector. The bodies are really piling up tonight. Kelton, where's the Chief Inspector going? To look around. All by himself. That's why he's the chief. Boy, Lieutenant Harper, those two grave diggers are ripped to shreds. If the clothing doesn't have a single tear. And not a drop of blood on either of them. Yeah, well, that's low-budget horror for you. Say, you getting a whiff of that awful smell? Ugh, how could I miss it? Finally. Bet that's the meat wagon. A short distance away... Pilot Jeff Trent and his wife Paula enjoy the evening on their patio. Strange. That's like the fifth siren I've heard in the last hour. Hmm? Oh, yeah. Uh, something's going on down at the cemetery. Are you okay, dear? 
You seem to still be up there above the clouds. Yeah, maybe I am. I don't believe I've ever seen you in this mood before. It's because I've never been in this kind of mood before. I, uh, I, well, I saw a UFO today. From up there. It was huge. Okay, well, not so huge, but it was shaped like paper plates coated in tinfoil. It flashed our cheap excuse of a cockpit with some sort of ray beam, kind of like a spotlight. And then it whooshed off with such force it nearly knocked us off course. Oh, my gosh. A UFO? From where? From up there. Up there? Like Canada? No, farther away, dear. Alaska? From up there, out there, from space. Oh, God only knows what planet it came from. Oh, dear. Did you report it? Of course I did. When we landed, we were met with a whole bunch of military brass. They swore us to secrecy. This just burns me up. People have a right to know what's going on, but I can't even say a word. Just then, high in the backdrop sky, a wobbling tin plate, a UFO, swoops down over Jeff and Paula, who flail themselves against the patio furniture. Back in the cemetery, Inspector Clay witnesses the UFO landing behind the smithy's cardboard crypt and advances slowly toward the craft. Unfortunately for the inspector, he fails to notice the reanimated corpse of Bella Lugosi standing who's 25 years younger and 6 inches taller than the recently deceased actor, <laughs> no matter. With his black cape firmly planted across the face, the body double advances menacingly on the bulking Inspector Clay. Wait, what was that? Clay whirls just in time for Smithy to reveal himself and menace the Inspector with an arched eyebrow. Die, you zombie freak! Approaching from the other side is Smitty's dead wife, Vampira Vera, with the post-mortem spastic colon. Oh, my God! Another one! I'm in a freak circus! The two ghouls stare him to death! And he crumples to the ground. In another part of the cemetery. That was Clay. Let's go, men. Oh, he's dead. Dead, dead. Mauled as bad as the rest of them. Gee, do you think that UFO had something to do with Inspector Clay's death? I don't know about that. But one thing is for sure. Clay's been murdered. And somebody's responsible. News flash. This report just in. Flying saucers have buzzed Hollywood, California, and Washington, D.C. Sources report that the spacecraft are made of tin foil and pulled along by fishing string. But that is unconfirmed. I repeat, unconfirmed. The Army has been contacted, and they are mobilizing. And we're treated to a choppy montage of stock military footage. This is Colonel Tom Edwards, in charge of field saucer activity to the Pentagon. 
There are three huge UFOs in the sky above us, and the Army is doing its best to bring them down. Shoot them down, man! Of course, nothing that the stock footage shoots at the UFOs work. They continue to dangle in the sky, with an occasional animated white puff to simulate an explosion. Finally, they wobble away. And we're back to a contemplative Colonel Edwards standing in front of a charcoal backdrop. The saucers are gone. What a sight, sir. Yes, and one I wish I didn't have to see. Are you worried about them, Colonel? Well, they must have some reason for their visit. Visit? They must think it weird that we welcome visitors with missiles and bombs, sir. Oh, this isn't our first encounter with these aliens. The last time we tried to contact them by radio, they responded by incinerating an entire town. It was a small town, but a town nonetheless, with people who died. People who died living in a small town. Yes, sir. But how come I never heard about it? Top secret info, soldier. But the next time you hear about a raging flood, or a tornado destroying a town, or an earthquake, or a typhoon, you just think back to this day, and you'll spend your whole life wondering what's true and what's a cover-up. Just like our little training exercise today. Hey, sir, a little practice firing at the clouds, war maneuvers, nothing more. Exactly, son. You're going to make a fine politician someday. Now we're somewhere in front of a deep space backdrop where we find a more secure hanging pie plate. Er, I mean, the secret invasion space station. Inside, it looks suspiciously like a redress of Jeff Trent's cockpit, but in this new reality, it's the control room of the supreme ruler of the galaxy. This is your excellency speaking. Dressed as a pudgy Hamlet, complete with tights, he sits behind a card table and fiddles with some dials on a 1950s shortwave radio. Send in Eros Santana. Eros Santana, also dressed in silk and tights, enter from behind a shower curtain that serves as a high-tech space door. Excellency! Eros, good. Report your activities. Hail, ruler of all. We've just returned from Earth. We were hit by one of their childish missiles and had to put into Space Base 7 for repairs. We will return to the Earth upon leaving here. I see. Hmm. And what plan will you follow when you return? We have made contact with the rulers of the Earthlings, but they refuse to accept our existence. We have found that working through the live Earthlings is too laborious of a task. Their souls are very strong. Therefore, if it pleases you, we have initiated Plan 9. Plan 9? Oh, yes. 
long-distance electrodes shattered to the pituitary glands of the recent dead, thereby causing resurrection of the body that can be remotely controlled by your laser gun. Very well. Proceed with Plan 9 and report in two Earth days. Dismissed. Excellency. Tana and Eros exit through the high-tech space curtain, uh, door, exposing a corner of the 2x4 frame holding it up. On the other side. Eros, what do you think will be the next obstacle the Earth people try to put in our way? As long as Earth people are allowed to think, we'll have problems, that's for sure. You know, it's a funny thing that those silly Earth people who can think are so frightened of those who cannot. Well, it's time for departure. Let's get to the ship. Back at the home of Jeff and Paula Trent, Jeff has concerns. I still think you should go to your mother's until I get back. This is our home and nothing is going to make me leave it. Most men worry about their wives going home to their mothers and here you are trying to push me there. What's the deal, Flyboy? I do worry about you, Paula. Why, if you were taken from me, who would wash my clothes, fix my supper, bring me my slippers, and run my bath water? Oh, you're so romantic, Jeff. Not many girls find a guy as swell as you. <sighs> true, true. UFOs can take care of themselves. What really concerns me is that cemetery. Something's going on there, and it's not good. Honey, don't worry. The UFOs will be up there, and whatever's in the cemetery will be over there, and I'll be safely locked up in there. In the shed? No, farther. The garage? In the house, silly, where all good 50 Styles wives belong. I'll lock the doors and I'll be in bed 30 minutes after you leave, snuggled up next to your pillow and dreaming of your return. Now go to work, Flyboy, before the thought of our parting becomes too much for me to bear. <laughs> you crazy, wonderful kid. Besides, what could possibly happen? What could happen indeed? Later that night, as Paula sleeps, Bela Lugosi has resurrected yet again. He strides from his tomb, stops to flourish his cape and glory in his evilness. Then, using his dark intuition, he finds the Trent home. Who's there? Who is it indeed? Why, it's Bella standing. Paula easily dodges the ghoul, who moves at the speed of a galloping snail. Being a clever girl, she decides her best chance is to hide in the cemetery. We now cut to Inspector Clay's fresh grave. Two massive, meaty hands plunge out of the dirt into the open air, and the reanimated corpse of Inspector Clay rises to join Vampira Vera and Bella Standing in what is the most horrifying trio of slow-paced pursuit I've ever seen. Oh, the terror, the terror! Boy! But it is too much for Paula, and she faints by the side of the road. Enter Farmer Joe, a hee-haw reject. Miss Trent, what's wrong? 
What's wrong? Who scoops up all the trails and speeds away. Lieutenant, we seem to keep coming back to this same cemetery over and over and over. So I noticed. It's one of the many drawbacks of low-budget filmmaking. The plot has to be confined to a limited number of locations to keep down production costs. That's why our cemetery here is made of green carpet, and there's a fog machine behind these flimsy grave markers. See? Oh, I get it. Gee, Lieutenant... Maybe that's why you're a lieutenant and I'm just a beat cop. You'll get your chance, Kelton. Now everyone split up. Start acting like we actually know what we're doing. Well, it's hard to find something when you don't know what you're looking for. Well, to hear Mrs. Trent talk, this cemetery is loaded with walking dead. I'm sure you'll know one of those when you see one. Come on. As the search party fans out, Vampira Vera and Inspector Clay are summoned back to the hidden UFO. Tanner, the woman and the fat cop are approaching the airlock. Let them in. Yes, Eros. What about the old man? Oh, we must kill him. He's too slow. Perfect way to rid oneself of an already dead actor. Perfect! <laughs> <clears throat> the space door only gets stuck once as it slides open and the zombies enter. Stop! Halt! I said stop! Quickly, shut off the manual electrodes. They can't distinguish us from the Earth people. I can't. It's stuck on go. Back. Back, you monster, you. There. They've stopped. Just in time. Now check your equipment from now on. Yes, Eros. Propman! Cut to stock footage of a plane flying past the Pentagon. And cut again to the office of General Roberts, complete with pictures of galaxies and an eight-foot map of the United States. Colonel Edwards, glad you could make it. What we're about to discuss is highly classified. Understood? Absolutely, sir. We've been in contact with the Flying Saucers by radio for quite a while. We've developed a computer called the Dictorobiter to break down their speech into our language. Listen to this. Speech alert! Speech alert! I am Eros, a space soldier from a planet in your galaxy that you're yet to become aware of. We've monitored your civilization from the beginning of your time. You are a barbaric juvenile race. Your stupid little minds can barely grasp the concept of our existence. We came in peace, and you ignored us. We came in peace. And you blew some of our representatives up with your big gun. So we had to fry one of your villages to get your attention. Now, there will be no more warnings or pleas. Your juvenile minds have brought you to the brink of atomic annihilation of the entire universe. We are part of that universe. We don't wish to be destroyed. We're trying to help you. But if you can't accept that, we'll kill you before you kill us. End transmission. Wow. Sounds like a bad actor from a drive-in movie. Whatever the case, we're sending you to San Fernando, where Army Intelligence reports the strongest UFO activity. Find out what the hell they want. 
Yes, sir. I'll do my best, sir. Back at the super-secret space station that hangs by a string. Excellency, you are several days late, Eros. We ran into complications with the Earth people, as well as atmospheric conditions that wouldn't permit us to transmit a clear signal, Excellency. I don't care to hear your pathetic excuses, Eros. You are demoted two steps, and I'm taking three ships away from your fleet. But, but that will only leave me with my own ship. You've wasted enough time, resources, and countrymen on this Plan 9. I have need of them elsewhere. Excellency, please. We've succeeded in raising three dead people. We have a fat cop, a vampiric-looking woman, and an old man with a fashionable long black cape. Plan 9 is a success. You twit! Plan 9 will only be a success when you have resurrected a legion of the Earth dead who will storm the capital cities and bring the Earth peoples to their knees. Now go. You have one last chance to please me. Away with you. Yes, Excellency. Back on Earth, Colonel Edwards, Lieutenant Harper, and Officer Kelton visit the home of Jeff and Paula Trent. And so this, this putrid corpse comes right into my room and chases me into the cemetery. And then two other zombies joined in the chase. So I had to run away and faint by the road. Now, isn't that something? It's just about the most fantastic story I've ever heard. And every word of it is true. That's the fantastic part. Say, do you guys hear something? And what's that awful smell? Kelton, you see anything out there by the squad car? No, it's too dark. Wait, I see something. Kelton... Turn around. It's coming right for you. Zombies! Shoot it, son. Shoot it! Bullets have no effect on Bellow's stand-in, except to make him flurry his cape as he continues to advance on the group, menacing them with his eyebrows. I've shot him with more bullets than my gun can hold. Suddenly, a crudely animated laser beam shoots from the hidden spacecraft and zaps the old zombie into a smoldering cape full of bones. What do you make of that? Yeah, what do you know about that? Hmm, let's take a little walk into that cemetery. All of our answers are there. They arrive at the cemetery. Uh Uh-uh, not you, Mrs. Trent. I'm afraid you'll have to wait in the car. This ghoul-busting is a man's job. No way. I'm not staying in that car alone. Jeff can protect me. I'm sorry, dear. Lieutenant Harper is right. You shouldn't come with us. Kelton, you stay with Mrs. Trent in the car. Do you think you can handle that? Uh, yes, sir. I brought a whole pile of guns in hopes that we wouldn't have to blast anybody. Here's one for you, Colonel Edwards, and you, Jeff. Let's go, men. We'll check out that strangely glowing area behind that far crypt. Let's just remember to proceed with caution. Eros and Dana look out an open port window. And so the Earthmen that have been so close so many times return once more. 
They shall soon discover what they seek. Tanner, release the humongous human to retrieve the Earth people left at their vehicle. Yes, Eros. While Patrolman Kelton tries to calm his frayed nerves with a cigarette. Just gotta nip it. Nip it in the bud. He doesn't see the hulking Inspector Clay lumbering up behind him. Stay away. Stay stay away. I'll, I'll faint. I'm warning you. Jeff, help. Help me. And she's true to her word. I've never seen a UFO this close. Hmm, that doesn't sound like any kind of metal I'm familiar with. The Earthmen are coming this way, Eros. Do we really have to kill them? Yes. It seems like such a waste. Better we kill a few of them now than to have a bunch of them kill us later. Of course, you're right, Eros. Yes, as always. Open the door and let them in. The ship's door is opening. Get ready for anything, man. Do we go in? What if the ship takes off? Well, that's the chance we have to take. Weren't you a test pilot, Jeff? If the ship takes off, I guess you'll just have to use your imagination. Okay, but if I see a little green man, I'm blasting first and asking questions later. Amazing how quickly the search party always finds the right room. All right, you two. Don't move a muscle. We have you in our gun sights. We will comply with your wishes, for now. But you don't need your weapons. We'll be the judge of that. Shall we talk now, or do you want to wait for the others? Others? What others? The ones you left with your land vehicle. If you've touched Paula, I'll take... Easy, Jeff. She is completely unharmed. I'll show you here. On this... Move another muscle, and I'll blow you back to wherever you come from. You're an ill-tempered human, and headstrong, too. I was just going to turn on the televisor, so you could view your precious mate. Okay, but slowly. Very slowly. You see? She is unharmed. She's merely fainted. The humongous one brings her to the ship. It's Inspector Clay. You fiend! I a fiend? I am Eros, space soldier for the Grand Ruler. We came to you in peace. You fired on our ships and denied our existence. I a fiend? Speech alert! Speech alert! First, you Earthers made the firecracker, a harmless explosive. Then the hand grenade, then bombs, then bigger bombs, then atomic bombs and hydrogen bombs. You slaughter each other by the millions and call it good. Now your scientists, in their mad quest for ultimate power, have stumbled onto solar manite, the most destructive force in the universe. But your stupid juvenile minds refuse to see the dangers. I, a fiend, never. It is you who are the fiends. Solar manite? There is no such thing. Oh, I can assure you there is. So what if we did have this solar manite? We'd be a stronger nation than we are now. Stronger? You see? You see? You see your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid! I've had enough of your lip. Eros! Stand down, Trent. Let this alien talk. I want to hear what he has to say. It's because of men like you that all must be destroyed. Headstrong, violent, 
unable to use the mind God gave you. You dare speak of God? What do your kind know of God? Is it so unfathomable that we two should think of God? You, over there. My name is Colonel Edwards. You wear the uniform of your country. I wear the uniform of mine. We are not so different. You're wearing tights. Fighting tights. Explain this solar monite No, please don't. Uh, oh, what the hell? It'll all be over in a few moments. Speech warning! Imagine that your Earth is a ball soaked in gasoline, and gasoline represents sunlight. Now, a match is put to the soaked ball, and the flame quickly encircles the Earth and then follows back to the gasoline can, or the sun, and explodes it, and then travels to everything the sunlight touches, and explodes that also eventually causing the destruction of the entire universe. This is why you must be stopped. At first in a friendly manner, but now it seems as enemies. You're mad. Mad? Is it mad that one would kill another to save himself? You have done this. Is it mad that one country would rise against another to save itself? You have also done this. Enough, Tanner. Why, you miserable, you don't hit women. On my planet, Earthman, women are for advancing the race, not fighting its battles. We don't cling to petty rules as you do. Okay, well, I've heard my fill. You two better come with us. And pray tell, where do you think you'll take us? Straight to jail. Ha 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 ha! So you think you have the upper hand, do you? You are our hostages. Not for long, spaceman. A brawl erupts. Cheap scenery and cheaper props wobble and break. Colonel Edwards, get the door! Get the door! We're getting out of here. Hang on, Eros. I got it. The door's open. Bail out. The ship's on fire. Geronimo! Forget Eros, Trent. I'm out of here. Do me a favor, Eros, and take this back to your supreme ruler. Oh. Eros slumps to the floor unconscious. So long, spaceman. Jeff Trent bails from the flaming ship and hurries to his beloved wife. Oh, gag me with a rocket ship. What a ride. Are you all right, Paula? I am now that you're here with me. <gasps> Look at that humongous ghoul that kidnapped me. He's turned to a steaming pile of bones. Yes, with their ship disabled, they're no longer able to control the dead they resurrected. Would you just look at that pie plate wobble and burn up there in the sky? Have you ever seen the likes of that? No. The flames don't affect the string holding it up. You've got to hand it to them. They're far ahead of us. Back aboard the doomed spacecraft, Tana crawls through the flames towards... Eros! 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 Well, that's the end of them. But unfortunately not the movie. My friends, this is Criswell. As I predicted, you would know. You have heard the evidence. Can you prove that it didn't happen? Perhaps on your way home, you will pass someone in the dark, and you won't know it, because they might be from outer space. Scientists believe this world is being watched even now. You may think it's funny, but once upon a time, people laughed. At the airplane, the telephone, the light bulb, television, and even radio theater. 
Will you be a scoffer? Will you be the one who laughed at the notion of grave robbers from outer space? Postmodern masterpiece. Love it. Just love it. You know that business about long-distance electrodes placed in the pituitary glands? <laughs> it works. That's how I revved up prudence. <laughs> vroom, vroom, Victor, baby. Well, yes, our time is up. That concludes our gathering for tonight, ghouls and gals. Join us next time, won't you? Good night, everybody. Good night and good cheese. You have been listening to Schlock Audio Theater's presentation of Plan 9 from Outer Space. Written by Ed Wood and adapted by Charles E. Pratt, Jr. It was produced by Columbia Audio Theater. Starring Angie Rush as Paula Trent and Tana and Warner Number 1. Daryl Alexander as Jeff Trent. Jim McCown as Colonel Edwards and Gravedigger Number 1. Peter Hasselreese as Lieutenant Harper, Farmer Joe, General Roberts, and Warner Number 2. Willie Wilson as Eros, Inspector Clay and newsman Gail Oldbear Bullock as Danny, Gravedigger number two, and the Supreme Space Leader. And Donna Pearl Wiseman as Victor Pratt, direction and post production done by DB Humphreys. We're back. That's Plan 9 from Outer Space, where zombies take over the world, sort of. Not really. Charles is with us to talk about it. Once we decided that comedy was the way to go and that we were going to parody these movies, I, I knew right away that we, we had to dive into the Ed Wood Library, and Plan 9 is such a... Most people would say bad film. I'd say distinctive. It's it's entertaining. And at the end of the day, a good movie, a bad movie, if it entertains, it, it's mission accomplished. And so I knew with Bruce and I going the comedy route, you, you couldn't find a movie more ripe with opportunities for comedy than Plan 9 from Outer Space. Well, unintended, because they're all playing it as straight as they can. Right, yeah. It was originally played super serious. Exactly. And it, it's very hard to emulate somebody's serious effort. I, you just have an innate sense when something is played tongue-in-cheek and when something is played very serious, and that's what made Ed Wood's movies so great 
is because there there was not one single person in that movie winking at the camera. Right. And the speeches, uh, the character speeches that went on and on, they were so deadly serious that it was hysterical. I could have just sat down and just about wrote the speeches verbatim and and they would have been hilarious just as they were you stupid 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 (laughs) i re-listened to the schlocks today you know i haven't heard them in, in forever and i i still enjoy them but i see opportunities missed that was glaring today especially on plan nine if I were to write that now, I, I, I would have done it totally different, I'm sure. How would you have done that differently? It's an epic Ed Wood movie. And so I was I was trying to figure out how to get all of the incontinuities uh, translated to audio because there was daylight, dark daylight. And I was originally writing that. I, I was obsessing on getting that that into the script when I should have been concentrating more on just the hilarity of, of the dialogue. I, I would really riff a lot more on the dialogue now than, than I, I did then. And I can still see where I was concerned with trying to stay along with the movie on every beat yeah and i i would have i would have went off the rails on that one and and it would have been plan nine but it, it would have been a much different plan nine because i, I would have really opened up and had a lot of fun with it like colossus i think was more you were you were you're focusing on the things that made it charming and made it funny but in Plan Nine, you're saying that you would have focused less on the story and and more on the on the the funny bits. Yes, that that's it exactly. And something that just came to mind on Colossus, my first script for that was like really long, and Bruce said, "Oh no 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 no, this is this is way too much." We whatever we do, we've got to do in 15 minutes because that's about as long as anybody's going to have any attention for this thing. Wow. Yeah, and so that uh, was a challenge. Yeah, yeah, uh, that forced me to go back, and I, I I was preoccupied, like you were saying, with the story. I, I wanted to make sure everybody knew the story, but it it also made me pick and choose what things I, I wanted to get in the script because I was riffing on I'm everything. I was just going on and on. But when you have a strict time limit and you have, what, an 88 or a 90-minute movie and you got to condense it down to 15, that's a lot of boiling extra strenuous parts off. Yeah. So I was only able to do that with Colossus. When we came to Plan 9, I, I just told him, I said, Bruce, dude, there is no way we can do this in 15 minutes. <laughs> no way, because a- as far as really terrible movies, I mean, Plan 9 is like the Citizen Kane of, of bad, bad filmmaking. And if I had to do it again today, I wouldn't have 
worried so much about incontinuities between scenes and whatnot, I would have riffed on the story itself. Yeah, a lot more. Well, all in all, it was uh, it was a good story. It was a good effort. I, I enjoyed it. If you don't mind, Charles, I'll invite you back next time, and we can talk about. Um, let's see, what's the next one on the list? Is it is it leeches? Uh, that's what I think. Attack of the giant leeches. All right. Well, uh, if you'll come back next time, we'll go over leeches. And thank you for coming on the uh, on the podcast. And, Pleased uh, to be here. Thank you. Now, if you want to know more about Schlock, you'll just have to stay tuned to the Texas Radio Theater podcast because, as far as we know, you you're not going to be able to find it anywhere else on the internet. Some more info. At the time of this podcast release, we've actually dusted off our website at texasradiotheater.com, and I was poking around the internet and found our old blogspot page. Yeah, we've updated that old thing, too. Not sure about if we're going to hit the MySpace page. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Anyhow, like we said, next time we will feature Attack of the Giant Leeches with commentary from co-creator Charles Pratt. So thanks again for listening to the Texas Radio Theater Podcast. And remember to watch more radio.